This morning I got here, I put on my microphone and Steve Hay, he's one of our deacons, if you don't know him, he comes at 8.30, so you come at 8.30, I'll introduce you. Um, he looked at me, he said, oh, you preaching today? And I said, I'll give it a shot. And he said, um, are we to the good part yet? <laughs> and I said, oh, no, no, we're not. We're, we're still in this first section of Romans where Paul is making the case that we're, we're all in need of help. Um, that um, Kai talked about all in the same boat a couple weeks ago, that we're all in need of a way to be made right with God. That's what he says, Romans 1. He says, hey, a righteousness from God is being revealed. The gospel reveals to us this righteousness from God. There was no way for us to be made right with God, but in the gospel, it's revealed. There's a righteous, righteousness from God, a rightness with God that we can have because of the gospel. And so he's revealing that. And in order to reveal that and point us to that, he has to make the case that we all need it. And as you're reading Romans, for us, we're like, read Romans chapter 1. When they got the letter, there were no chapter and verse breakdown. So it was just a letter. And the first part of the letter, what we call Romans 1, I think that they would have read that part of the letter, that section, and go, man, I'm so glad I'm not like those people. I am so glad I'm not like those, those evil sinners. They're doing horrible things. I'm glad I'm not doing that. And then Romans 2, the next section of the letter, he's like, oh, yeah, wait a second. We're all in the same boat. We're all in need. None of us is right, not even one. The, this whole section, he's, he's going to get us to the good news eventually, but that's, that's where he starts. That's, that's, he's making that case. And, and Romans 2 is kind of the good old boys like me, good old boys like us. Like what, what do you do if you have a moral code and you know right from wrong and you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you, you, you can tell the difference and you're trying to do the right thing all the time because you have a moral code and you start thinking that you're good because of that. You think, you think I'm fine, like God knows I'm keeping the, keeping the law, I'm not trying to do the things. God knows I'm doing more good than bad and you start feeling like, yeah, I must be okay. He's like, no, 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 you're not okay. If, if you got a moral code, that's not enough. And if, and if you have religious activity. He's talking to that group of people. Like, yeah, I do all the things. I'm here when the church is open. I'm doing the things. I'm in community group. I'm doing, I, I sign up for stuff. I'm, I'm present. I'm attending. I'm a member. And if you have religious activity, that that's not enough. It's like Paul is saying, you can't find confidence in those things. And he's, he's kind of taking our confidence away in the things that we tend to want to put our confidence in so he can show us where the confidence really is. And one way that I think that we can understand what Paul is doing is by kind of backing up and and making sure we understand what the Bible says about sin. And this, this word, and the English word, it's three letters, so just a little bit of word, but it has such a big meaning. So there's so many layers to what we've done to cause a problem between us and God, how we've separated ourselves from God. This sin is, is a multifaceted thing. And, and in fact, the Bible uses more than one word when it's describing this idea of sin and what we've done. And in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul says that you and I were dead, which... That's, that's why there's a hopelessness to this. We were not just a little bit in trouble. We were dead, and he says, in our trespasses and in our sins. And so there's two different words to describe our condition apart from God, that we were dead in our trespasses. So you guys know what a trespass is, right? You've seen a no tr trespassing sign. Listen to this. It's kind of cool. So you've seen a no trespassing sign, and you, you've been by a property, you've seen a fence, and it has a no trespassing sign. And some of you see that, and you're like, well, okay, I'm not, I'm not going over there. And some of you think, what kind of fishing pond is he hiding back there? 
I wonder if I could get in there at night. No one will see. Like sometimes you see that sign, and you're like, oh, I'm going over there. Pretty soon, I'm going to be back. I'm going over there. And, and the no trespassing sign, it has, it's a boundary. Hey, don't come in here. One of the ways that we understand sin is that, hey, God and his wisdom and love for us has given us boundaries. He's put boundaries in place. He's put parameters. He said, hey, don't go over here. Don't do that. Don't cross that line. If you cross that line, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to, you, you think it's going to promise you all these things because you're not trusting God when you cross those boundaries. We're not trusting him. We think he's withholding something good and God has given us those boundaries because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants what's best for us. And so he puts up no trespassing sign. And sometimes what we look at that is we're like, well, I haven't done that. I mean, I must be okay. I haven't trespassed. I haven't, I haven't broken any of the big rules. I haven't crossed any of those lines. I think I'm okay. And he's kind of taking away that confidence in this section. But that's one way you can understand this idea of sin. And the other way is the word sin is really kind of an archery term. And it, like, it, it's kind of the picture of the target. And there's a target that God has for us. And it's not just about boundaries, it's not just about rules that we're not supposed to break, but there's a target he has for us, that, and he wants us to hit this target. And Paul's going to say in Romans 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we don't hit the target, that we fall short of the target. You shoot your, shoot your bow and arrow, and the arrow falls short. You shoot, you're trying to sight in your rifle, and you don't hit the target. And, and that's one way that we understand sin. So we can say, yeah, I haven't broken any rules, but the other side of that is, yeah, but are you, are you meeting the standard that God has for us? This bullseye represents, and what we're talking about here, it represents righteousness. It represents perfection represents holiness. This is God's standard for us, that he wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be perfect. And, and he said, that's the target. That's the standard. And the Bible's really, really clear. All of us have missed that target. I, 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 hunt, with a, I hunt with a guy. He's a friend of mine. And he, when we're trying to sight in our rifles, like if he gets it anywhere on here, he's good. You ever been around that guy? He's like, yeah, if I'm on the paper, man, I'm fine. I'm going to be a blood trail or something, right? Like he, he's fine. But Sometimes what we think is that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard, and I'm probably, I'm, probably, I'm probably close. I bet if God was weighing the good and the bad, I bet I've done more good. I bet, bet I'm living up to standard a little bit more than some other people. It's really easy to like, justify our behavior by looking at people that are worse off, right? And so we're like, yeah, I'm pretty close. But the Bible paints a picture we're not even close. We're not on the paper. You're shooting at a target and you don't even know where it's going because it's not even close. There's no signs that you're even in the neighborhood. The Bible, all have sinned. We've all fallen way short of the glory of God. We're not even close. I mean, the Cowboys are closer to the Super Bowl than us. Like, that's how bad this is, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. And so you, like, we want to think of this, we want to make this in our on our behalf, right? Hey, I haven't broken any bad laws. I'm doing my best. What Paul seems to be doing here is he's trying to take away our confidence in these things that we can't find confidence in. And specifically in this passage in Romans 2, it seems like he's doing that. First thing, we won't find confidence, we don't find confidence in having the law. As he's unpacking this, he's, he's talking to the, the Jew who have a, 
have the law, the moral code, and they, they know where the boundaries are, and they're not going to cross those boundaries. They're gonna, they they, they want to do the right thing. And he says, just having the law, like that doesn't give you any confidence. Verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law and you boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you're sure that you're your, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, teacher of children, you, you, you know the law, so you're even teaching it to others or trying to. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You think that you're fine because you have the law. You have that knowledge. You know right from wrong. And he's saying, no, 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 no. There's no confidence in just having that understanding. That doesn't make you right with God. You don't have confidence in your standing with God because you know the code. You know right from wrong. You know the law. You won't find confidence in there. That kind of sounds a little bit interesting to us because we... We don't naturally think that way, but for the Jewish person who was reading this, they understood the law as a sign of the covenant. That God had made a covenant with his people, and the, uh, the part of that covenant was giving them a law. Here's how I want you to live. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I don't, I don't want you to do this. And so the covenant represented, the, the law represented the covenant that God had established. So I, I think a Jew would read this and go, yeah, well, I know I've messed up. I know I've done some bad things, but I'm, I'm one of God's people. He's established a covenant with me. He's given us the law, so we have the code. We have, we have that, and so we're fine. And they would have said, because I have the law, we're okay with God. And Paul's like saying, no, no, you're not. You can't find confidence there. The other thing he seems to say here is we don't find confidence in keeping the law. You're not going to find it in your ability to stay within the boundaries and do the right things. You can't find confidence in your ability to keep the law. And one of the reasons is because we don't. We, we don't. None, none of us keep the law. But what, what is Paul saying here as he starts turning about, talking about teaching in verse 21? He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery... Do, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So he's like, hey, you're trying to find your confidence and your ability to keep the law? You won't find it. There, there's no confidence in your ability to do the right thing and hope that it all balances out in your favor in the end. That's not where you find your confidence, and you're not going to keep the law. I was studying this passage this week, and one thing that jumped out at me that I didn't know is that no one really knows exactly what Paul's referring to in this, that section. I mean, he talks about, do you, you say don't steal, but then you, do you steal? Like, no one knows if he's talking about specific things that he saw people doing where they were like, yeah, we're not going to steal, and then they were stealing. Or if he's talking generally. It's always fun when you find that as a, as a pastor. So no one knows this. I guess I'll just say what I want. Now, I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, okay, what, what, do I, what, what do I think? And when I read that, I immediately thought about Jesus. And I immediately thought about his teaching. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what Paul is saying here. No one really is. But I thought about Jesus. When he shows up and he begins teaching, he taught with authority. Not like the teachers of the law. And one of the things that he did is he started like calling people to a higher understanding of righteousness. A higher understanding of holiness. A higher understanding of what God wants for us. And so he teaches that way. He says, hey... You know that the law says you shouldn't commit murder. You shouldn't kill anyone. And everybody's like, yes, I'm good. I haven't murdered anyone. He says, but I'm telling you, 
If you've been angry with someone in your heart, you've committed murder, like on the inside. You, your, your thoughts are murderous thoughts, and that's the same thing. You're guilty of murder. So you, you, you see the law, and you're like, okay, yes, I haven't, I haven't committed murder. I haven't done that. It's pretty boring. I, have, I haven't murdered anybody. And Jesus says, yeah, but if you've been angry with somebody in your heart, and you're like, oh, no, I drove on I-30 this week. And you drive on I-30 in the last year, like, you're a murderer. Because I'm angry a lot. Like, he's calling us to a higher level of righteousness. He says, hey, you, Jesus says, you, you've heard it said, the law says, it's very clear, don't commit adultery. Okay, I'm good, I haven't, haven't crossed that boundary. But... I say, Jesus says, if you've had lust for somebody, it's like you've committed adultery in your heart. So the higher standard, the higher view. And so when I see what Paul saying, is saying here, like you think you have confidence and you're standing with God because of your ability to keep the law, no one is made right with God by keeping the law. We're not law keepers, we're law breakers. And if we're honest with our minds and our thoughts and all the things, then we'll know, yeah, I don't keep this law. And so Paul's saying, hey, here's the problem. You don't, you don't find confidence in your standing with God by having law, just knowing the law, and you, def, you, you also won't find it by your ability to keep the law. You can't keep the law and find that confidence. So that's the main problem he's addressing, but he seems to open up a window to another problem here in this text as well, and that problem is the, the, thought, the idea of what we're doing dishonoring God. I don't know if you saw that, but that's, that's where this passage goes. In verse 23, he says, you who boast in the law, you dishonor God because you're breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So when we think that we're okay with God because of our ability to keep some rules and do the right thing and hope that it all weighs out in the end, it's actually a dishonor to the name of God when we do that. That's what he's saying. So it's this idea of hypocrisy, right? That for years, the unbelieving world has looked inside the church or looked from a distance at the church and said, ah, I'm not a part of that because that church is full of all these hypocrites. And on one level, that comment is made in complete ignorance and needs to be dismissed, Okay. Because on one level, what they're saying is, yeah, I've never actually gone to the church, or maybe I had a bad, uh, you know, experience with the church, but I think that the church people is just made up of people who think that they have it all together and think that it's all fine. And if somebody's on the outside looking in, and they think that that's what we think, that we just, we, oh yeah, the church just filled people think that they're perfect. Well, yeah, that, they'll never understand this. That's an ignorant assumption that needs to be dismissed because the church is this organization that exists in the world where the only way you can be a member of it is if you admit that you're broken and a sinner in need of help. Nobody's a member of a church unless they understand, I need help. And so we're not, we're not a bunch of people that have it all together. We're a bunch of people that realize that we need help and we found in Jesus the help, all caps, the only help. And so we gather with his people and we worship and we sit under the teaching of his word and we read his word because we know that he's the only one that can help. That's, that's what this is. But the problem is that it's sometimes easy for us to start acting like we have it all together. 
In fact, that's a temptation for some of us. Uh, It it may be a meltdown on the way here, but when you walk in, you got to make sure everybody thinks everything's great. And we start acting like we're fine. We start acting like we figured it out. We start acting like there's no problems. There's no, no, no struggles and anything like that. And that's what, let's be honest, an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. They know that life is hard. They know that, the, and what we've got to communicate is not that we have it all figured out and that we've got it all done and we're, we're problem-free, stress-free, but we're in the struggle with them. But we've found the only hope. We've found the only help. That's what we have to communicate. And then we can invite people into that because, hey, yeah, I struggle. We all struggle. Life is hard. Everything's hard. But I found help. I found the only source of help. So come, come, and, come experience that with me. That's, that's what we have to do. And, and so we have to constantly point people to that truth. And as a church, we have to live that out. Here's what Tim Keller says about it in Romans for You. He says, we need to pose ourselves the same challenge. The same challenge Paul's given the Jews. Let's give it to us as the church. Is our church community and are we as individuals attractive? Here's what he means by that. Is our humility, our love and hard situations, our grace under pressure, and so on, obvious for others to see? Are we living as an advertisement for God, his greatness, his love, or or as a keep clear sign? Only the gospel produces churches and people who commend God to the world. Moralism cannot, which is kind of what we're talking about. This idea that I have a moral code, I know right and wrong, I'm going to keep the rules and that's going to make me okay. And the world doesn't like that. In fact, what happens is we start using the law to make ourselves feel better. Look at all the rules I'm keeping, so I must be okay. And then we start using the law to judge others. And you're not keeping those laws, so you must be in a lot of trouble. Instead of, hey, we're all in trouble. We all need help, and he's the only one where we can find it. So we don't find confidence in having the law, knowing the law, and we don't find confidence in keeping the law. Now Paul says we don't find confidence in outward signs. You're not going to find confidence in the fact that you do a lot of things that look religious, religious activity, you can't find your confidence in a right standing with God on, in that, in outward signs. And so for the rest of this passage, Paul's going to use an example of what that means, and he's going to use the example of circumcision. And so since we have the four- and five-year-olds in here today, I thought, why don't we all just get uncomfortable? That'll be fun. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't really think about that the way that they thought about that, but... Understanding how they thought about that will, will help us understand where we go wrong. So in, in the ancient times, um, when you made an agreement with someone, this is pretty standard practice. You even see it in the Bible. You would, you would kind of act out the curse that you're willing to take on if you break the agreement. So you, you see even God do this with Abraham. He, he took an animal and he cut it and he killed it and cut it in half. Put one side over here, one side over here, and then they both passed through it. And, and that acting out of that thing, that, that agreement was basically saying, if I, I'm entering in this agreement with you, and if I break this agreement, may it happen to me what happened to this animal. May that, may that happen. May I be killed. May I be cut in pieces if I break this agreement. So it's like giving your word and then, then acting out. Hey, if I don't do this, if I don't come through, like I want, I want to curse on myself, okay? So that was how they understood agreements. And so God establishes a covenant with his people. And one way to understand this 
thing is to say that God gives them this sign, this outward sign, and says, if you break the covenant that we're establishing today, then this is going to happen to you on a bigger scale. If you break the covenant, then you're going to be cut off from me. If you stop following me and you start walking away from me, if you break this covenant, then I'm going to cut you off from myself and my blessing. And he does that. He disciplines his people all the time. And so there's an outward sign, a cutting off, because he said, hey, if you break the covenant, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off, which is what sin is. It's us being separated from God, being cut off from him and his blessings and all those things. So that's how they understood that. That's one of the ways you can understand this, this thing we call circumcision. But what we need is to take that word out because we don't think of it that way and put other things in that place. Well, I was baptized when I was eight, so I'm fine. I'm a member of a church, so I'm, I'm good. I, I signed a covenant. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. My parents have been members of a church, and I've always, always grown up in the church, so I must be fine because of the lineage I was born into. Man, I'm here. I'm, a, I'm attending. I'm, I'm, I, I got my seat at church. I'm there. I'm going to youth camp. I'm going to winter retreat. I'm doing the things. I show up on Wednesday nights. I'm even going on a mission trip. And all these external things, which are really, really good, what he's saying is you can't find your confidence and your standing with God in any of those external things. They're all good, but they're the result of something that God was doing inside. And so the external things are just the evidence of the faith that God has given us, like the faith that we have in him. That's the evidence of that. It's not where we put our confidence or find our confidence. Yeah, I'm good with God because I do all these things. I've done all these things. You don't find it there. No, that's, that's what he's saying. We don't find confidence in outward signs. Tim Keller takes the word circumcision out, puts in other words. He says, so what if you've been baptized? So what if you're a church member? This only counts for anything. Now, it does count, but it only counts for anything if there has been a real change in your life, if your heart has been truly affected. Don't you know that you're not a Christian if you're only one externally? That real Christianity is not about having, a conf having confidence in external things. No, a Christian is someone who is a Christian inside. What matters is inner baptism, a heart membership of God's people, and this is a supernatural work, not a human one. So that's, that's what he's saying. Verse 25, circumcision indeed is of value, but only if you obey all the, all the other laws. If you break any of the other laws, then your circumcision is no value. It becomes uncircumcision. That had to have been really bad news for some people. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as a circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code, you have the law, and you've done the religious activity, circumcision, but you still break the law, you're no better off. We're all in the same boat. We all need help. Paul's not, he's not introducing a new teaching, just so we're clear. He's just pointing out what's always been there. In the Old Testament, that they had this thread all the way through it. In Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and different places, it talks about circumcision of the heart. That's what really, really matters. Moses, he promises in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord. That's what really matters. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for a heart change. He's going to create a heart change that will then produce all these external things. Not, I have the external, so I must be okay. You don't find confidence in the outward sign. So no confidence in, I know the law, 
no confidence in I'm trying to keep the law, no confidence in all the external things that I do, as important as they are, no confidence there. Baptism. If you find your confidence in the fact that you have baptism and you wrote your name in your Bible at some point when the day, like that, you don't find confidence there. But baptism is super important because baptism is a public proclamation of something that God has done in your heart. It's identifying with Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. It's that, and it's the public um, identification. I want to be a part of God's people. I want, I, want, I want everybody to know I'm part of his family because of what he's done in my heart that's then led me to this step of faith of obedience. If you haven't taken that step of faith of obedience, but you've put your trust in Jesus, then we need to help you do that. But if you've been baptized, and that's the only reason that you think you're his people, and you don't really see any heart change, then at least you ought to say, well, what's really going on here? Because there's no confidence in the outward sign. So, so where are you going to find the confidence? Well, where we're going in Romans makes that really clear, but let me say it this way today. We only find confidence in Jesus as he changes our hearts. The only confidence that you can have that I can find is in Jesus, what he did for us, how, what he accomplished for us. This is where Paul's going with this. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Circumcision of the heart. God's changing our heart. That's the only hope that you have. What Jesus does for us, instead of what we think we're doing for him. R.C. Sproul said it this way, isn't this a fitting climax to the argument in chapter two? What Paul has been driving at all along is this, God is going to look at the heart. We can come adorned with all kinds of externals, but if there is no circumcision of the heart, it will be to no avail. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, that is by the Holy Spirit, not by the letter. We're separated from God because of our sin, all of us. No matter how many boundaries you've adhered to, no matter how much you've tried to do the right thing, we are separated from God. The Bible paints this picture of a chasm between us and God, like kind of like the stage, like keeping me away. I want to be out there real bad, but we're separated. We can't do anything to get back to God. And so we can find hope in Jesus because Jesus made a way where there was no way. He, he built a bridge across the chasm where there was no chance of us getting over there. And he did that by dying on a cross for us. And there's so many different ways that you can explain that. So many different ways you can unpack what Jesus did for us. That he took the punishment for sin that we should have had to take. He paid the penalty for sin that we should have had to pay. There's so many aspects to that. But in light of this passage, here's one I want you to consider. That on the cross, Jesus was cut off from God, the Father. Jesus proclaims on the cross, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because God pours his wrath out on his son in that moment. Turns his face away. And Jesus experienced that separation. He experienced being cut off from God in that moment. And because he experienced that for us, we don't have to be cut off from God anymore. Because what Jesus did, we can be brought back into a right relationship with him, given a right standing. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But Jesus gives it to us. 
Because of Jesus being cut off from the Father on the cross, we don't have to be cut off from him anymore. That's where our hope is found. That's the only place our hope is found. Man, Paul's explaining this, but you, you, he gets it. He really, really gets it. In Philippians 3, Paul gives this testimony, kind of just writes it out real fast. And his testimony is this. I was working so hard to earn my way to God. I was doing all the things. I knew the law. I was trying to keep the law. I, was, I had externals for days. But then I found Jesus. And I realized that I couldn't do it. But he did. And I gave all that up so that I could just put my faith in him. And now my confidence, Paul says, is only found in Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was pretty blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For Jesus' sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as trash, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because that doesn't work, but a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God revealed in the gospel, and that depends on faith. I put my faith in him, and I find him giving me the righteousness that I couldn't earn, that I couldn't find, and that's where my confidence comes from. That's where my hope comes from. It's all from him. Paul, like, walked away from that to embrace faith in Jesus. Have you? Are we that people? Are we trying to find our confidence in the fact that we have some rules and we try to keep them? And we got all these things that make us look like we got, we're playing the part? Or are we only finding our confidence in Jesus and what he did for us? And that's the only hope that all of us have. Let's thank him for that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for the reminder that you give us in your word. Thank you for all the ways that you speak to us through your word. God, help us to be people that find our hope and our confidence only in you and what you accomplished for us when you sent Jesus to take our place on that cross. Change us, God, from the inside out by changing our hearts for your glory, your fame, and our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.